So Money episode 1143, Umbreen Bhatti, director of the Athena Center for Leadership at Barnard College. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. There just is so much more you get out of seeing yourself as part of a collaborative, supportive community. And if you're not seeing that, to do the work that you need to do to make that happen. Because I don't think that we're going to see the change we need in the world with any one person. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. It is 2021, our second episode of the new year, a return to the huge, where you get candid conversations with some incredible visionaries, leaders, change makers on their perspectives, experiences, attitudes about our favorite topic, money. Kicking us off is Umbreen Bhatti. She is the director of the Athena Center for Leadership at Barnard College in New York City. And there she works with young women to build a better world, period. She comes to this role after working in media. She led the Innovation Lab at KQED, which is the Bay Area's NPR PBS station. Earlier in her career, she also practiced law at the Disability Rights Legal Center in Los Angeles. And she's a mother of two. Our conversation went many places, initially talking about her role at the Athena Center, which is a new position, and where how she is educating the young women and young students of today for the future, including how to make them more money fluent. We also moved into talking about sustainability and making money moves that are more conscious, not just aligned with your beliefs, but now our growing beliefs that humanity matters, right? We want to make an impact in the world. We want to save lives. How can our money and our purchasing choices make an impact? We talk about the benefits of slowing down your life. I think this is all really good stuff to cover in the new year, right? We hit the new year ready to take on the world. We've got goals, 2020s in the rear view mirror. Maybe there is something to be said about just dialing it back a little bit. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I'm looking forward to your thoughts. Remember, you can always follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and direct message me there. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the episode and leave a review. Here we go. Here's Umbreen Bhatti. Oh, and by the way, what you're about to hear, (laughs) I had hit record before we were officially recording, but I thought I'm just going to leave it in because maybe it'll provide some insights into how I like to get guests comfortable and laughing <laughs> before we're officially chit-chatting. Here is Umbreen Bhatti. People on Instagram, I post, I'm posting about my tooth and uh, people are mostly being like, oh, we're so sorry. It'll be fine. I've had a root canal. And then one person's like, how did you let this get this far? <laughs> Thank you for the judgment. Seriously? (laughs) Really? Thanks for the shame. Whatever. I was like, um, last I checked, there was a pandemic. And so unless things are an emergency, you know, the only time I've been to the doctor this year is one to go to the emergency room because my son needed to get a quick um, procedure done. And then this. So I think I'm doing humanity a service here. I mean, I moved to New York a year and a half ago and I still don't have a doctor because I never got around to it in the first yeah. like nine months. Oh my months, God, that's the question pandemic. I hate the so, most. Yeah. All these forms are like, who's your primary doctor? I'm like, does the urgent care doctor count? <laughs> what do you think about City MD? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't remember her name, but she was really nice and she had lollipops. <laughs> do you mean like 79th Street? What are you thinking about? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm right there with you. And um, New York, I found like just really overwhelming in the healthcare world, right? There's just, there are so many options and I make most of my decisions on the basis of commute. So, um, mm-hmm. so I haven't sorted it out yet, but I hope at some point. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on So Money. And by the way, I've been recording all this. I thought it'd be fun for my audience (laughs) to hear some behind the scenes. I'm going to give them all of it. I'm going to give them the behind the scenes, the front of the scenes. Umbreen Bhatti, welcome to So Money. It is so nice to finally connect with you and learn all about the good work that you're doing for humanity and in particular, young women. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we are both members of The List, which is this fantastic email community of dynamic women, all superstar women who are making huge impacts in the world. I just joined through that community. We got to connect and I'm so pleased uh, to know you and I feel very honored to have you on the show as somebody who has done so much in her career, your latest chapter, your latest career move is running the Athena Center for Leadership Studies at Barnard, where you also graduated. So for before we get into all of uh, the good work that you're doing and, and what you hope, how, how you hope this will impact young women at Barnard, what, what made you take on this role? Because you, you arrive at this with expertise in law and media studies. Your resume is very long. This is something that you really felt passionate about doing. Why? Well, (laughs) my resume is also very meandering, but I will say that Barnard Career Services often talks about how your major doesn't dictate your future. And I feel like I am the example and like embodiment Mm -hmm. of that. Um, Although it did at the start, I I was a political science major. I thought I like to read and write. I'll go to law school, like probably not a very thoughtful decision at that time. But, you know, I didn't I we all learn so much and most of it is in hindsight. So um I did have a meandering path for sure, practiced law for about seven years, Um, felt like media is really what changes hearts and minds, and felt like I wanted to try a different approach to solving some of the problems that I cared about. So transitioned into media, but uh, wasn't a journalist and wasn't a lawyer who represented media companies. So what do I do? (laughs) And and found my way to that really through design. And by that, I mean, um, I ran the innovation lab at the NPR and PBS station in San Francisco, KQED, until I moved to New York about a year and a half ago and just loved it. Like, absolutely magical job with um, just like the most amazing coworkers and left really because we were moving here. And so the through line in my work, I would say, is that I help people take on things that are, you know, large, seem to be insurmountable, complicated, and I help them break them down and figure out what they can do about it. So it's sort of like doula, you know, therapist, like friend, project manager, it's all of those things. And so, you know, an example for us here is if students are interested in something like sustainability, well, okay, reversing climate change is going to be really hard, but can we make Barnard a more sustainable campus? Yeah, we can totally do that. And so how do we do that? So it's that kind of work, breaking it down into manageable pieces. And and I think the you know financial fluency stuff that we're going to talk about is absolutely a part of that. Yeah, let's dive right into the financial fluency stuff. I know that was something that you were really excited to talk about when we booked this uh, conversation. In addition to everything else that you're teaching these women and equipping them with, you know, career strategy, career skills, uh, money is really at the centerpiece of of many people's journeys to success. And yet we don't learn about this typically 
in a school environment, but it was important to you and and your team. How do you do it? I'm curious because uh, that's always seems to be the problem. It's like, yeah, we know there's a problem with money literacy, but we're not really sure how to teach it. Oh, we just make an app. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's not the easy answer. <laughs> There's an app for that. Okay. <laughs> but but I think, well, I would frame it a little bit differently and say that the work we do isn't really career oriented, though Barnard does have like a fabulous um, career department. It's really life prep, right? So we're helping them take on um, the kinds of work that they want to do and lead positive change. So for me, a starting point is that uh, Barnard students lead. Like I already know that, right? I've seen generations of Barnard alums produce positive change in the world. So I believe they are leaders and our job is to help them figure out what kind of leaders they want to be and to be the leaders that we think we need today, right? And so those leaders are um, collaborative, right? They can work with each other. Uh, They can try out different approaches to change making. So similar to the way that I took on problems via law, via media, via design, like The big things that we need solved in the world are not going to be solved through a single method. We're going to need entrepreneurs. We're going to need policymakers, media makers, like everything, right? And then the last is that we really think about how we can give them space to consider impact. And that means the impact of their work and their ideas on the communities that they're working with, but also the impact on themselves. Because in my mind, leadership is a practice, right? It's not a position or a destination or something you get to. It's really like, what are your everyday acts of leadership and how do we support those? And in all of that, if it's a practice, it's a lifelong thing, which means we value health and wellness. And so our approach, um, I actually think is really exciting. Obviously, I'm biased, but we we really think about it as part of a, a our understanding of holistic wellness. So we do this work in partnership with Barnard's new Francine Lefrac Center for Wellbeing. We do it with the Office of Financial Aid. We do it beyond with Beyond Barnard, which is our career services work. We do it with the dean that supports um, students in our opportunity programs and so on. And that's because... I think you could think about this work as um, financial literacy, financial fluency, or financial wellness. And I think those are three totally different things. And so literacy is like, you kind of get it, right? Like you're you're introduced to it, you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Fluency, right? As you feel really comfortable with these topics and and you um, feel like you can move about in the space and, and you can talk about them. But wellness is is a practice, right? Like you don't go to the gym once and you're well. Um, Wellness means that you're thinking about it as something you're really engaging with all the time. And so that's what I want. I don't want to teach them intro to budgeting. I want them to feel comfortable budgeting at every stage of their life with all the different challenges that they face. And so that's, I think, really why it fits in this wellness space for us. And so can you give us some concrete examples of how you're helping them develop this fluency and and what are some of the successes that you may already be seeing? I know it's only been a short period of time relatively, but are you already seeing signs of students getting it, quote unquote, getting it? Yeah, well, absolutely I can. And I'll, I'll say that the work actually long predates even Athena. So it um, absolutely predates the, Lefrac, the Francine Lefrac Center, but it predates Athena. And it's been work that has been happening at Barnard for at least a decade, if not more. So there have been alums, um, trustees, you know, people really committed to Barnard who felt that it was important to do this work at a liberal arts college and to do it at a women's college. And so it's evolved in that time in, the, in our positioning and, you know, the ways in which we innovate. So, for example, one of our innovations is not an app, right? It is about thinking about how we can weave it through all aspects of campus. So you don't go to one office and get financial training. You see it from all these different spaces. So maybe we need to learn salary negotiation and that's a very career thing, but maybe you're thinking about negotiation broader than salary. 
um, and negotiating other financial things like, I don't know, a car, something like that. Like maybe that's not the right place for that. So it's all over campus. But um, I'll say that two of the things for me that make me feel really heartened about impact is that we get students right when they come and right when they leave and also a whole bunch of ways in the middle. But right when they come, I mean, like orientation week, we do uh, training for them, which is just financial fluency for first years. And um and again, I'll say that in the future, we'll think about it as really financial wellness for first years. But that is just introducing them to all of the um, all of the things that they're going to start to face. I mean, I don't like I know we were both in college a pretty long time ago, but I remember vividly like those tables and those credit card offers and the T-shirts and all that stuff. And so they're facing big financial decisions. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We have to equip them for that. So we get a great turnout for that. And we get a lot of interest in that work and offer, of course, workshops throughout the you know four years that they're there, but we do also a very popular experience for seniors. And for seniors, what they do is they hear from alums, recent alums who've had to grapple with some of these things like, you know, I tried to rent an apartment and I didn't know that there were broker fees and I didn't know how much money I needed up front to get that started, that kind of thing. And then um, they also kind of break into smaller groups and talk about things like taxes, understanding your pay stub, um, uh, investing, even if you feel like you don't have a whole lot of money right now, like we all know now how important it is to put money into our 401k as soon as we can. But I don't know that they know that until we talk about it. So those are two things that give me a lot of hope. And then I'll say that at Athena, students um, work on projects that they think are going to lead us to a better world. And every year, at least a few of those projects are on this topic of financial literacy, fluency or wellness every single year. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, preparing these young female students for life. And given all of the ups and downs, and I don't know how you would characterize the feminist movement in the last two years or the progressive uh, accomplishments at, or lack thereof over the last few years uh, for women and people of color and other minorities. What are the conversations that you are having or the school is having or you're overhearing? Are people optimistic? Where are they seeing still areas that need vast improvement? And what are the contributions they're looking forward to making to help make the world a better place for everybody? Yeah, there are so many. I mean, I can't speak to what the conversations sort of at the you know, the school level are, but I'll say that what I'm seeing and experiencing is, um, well, so a lot of, so Barnard graduates students who don't identify as women, right? So Barnard graduates students who are trans, who are non-binary and so on. So I'm going to talk about us as a group of like a, a wide ranging, but still, you know, underserved group of, uh, of alums. And so we talk all the time, I think, about how we are, we are making it work in this system, but the system was not designed for us. And so what is um, a financial system that works for women, for people of color, um, for folks who are non-binary and so on? Like, what is that financial system? And, and to be honest, like finance is not my expertise, so I don't know. Um, but what I do have space for is the ability to convene people who are experts on that. And I do have, I think, a really interesting forum to bring together like the leaders of tomorrow and frankly today and people who've been working on this stuff for years. I mean, one of the things that just I find so inspiring about the students I work with is that they don't accept a lot of things that I think people of our age did or do. Right. And so they're just like, they're not having it. And so I think there's a really, there's a really, um, 
big amount of hope, but there's also a a reality that we've been in the system for a long time. And I mean, the numbers for women getting VC funding are so low. Like, what are they, 2% this year? They were 3% last year, then they're 2%. Again. Like, I don't even know, but they're so low. Um, and so we do need to talk about that and we do need to figure out how they can develop those things. But the reality is also that you have to work in the system that you're in. So you need to feel empowered doing that. Um, and that's why we do some of the very basic, like, again, intro to budgeting, intro to investing, that kind of thing. What have been some of your own personal successes with navigating all these different industries that you have traveled through, law, media, now academia, but in many of these pathways, were you an only or a first woman or were you one of a few women and how did you navigate that? Are you offering your own sort of life learnings to those who go through the Athena Center? So I um, have been lucky not to have been the first woman in these spaces. I will say was very frequently the only Muslim woman or, um, you know, uh, the only woman who wore a headscarf. Like I have been sort of the only in a lot of spaces, but I think that that's not desirable. Right. And so we do actually celebrate all these firsts all the time. But in, uh, and I'm grateful for all the trailblazers that let this happen, but we are really thinking about leadership as change making rather than trailblazing because I actually think there are very few spaces that no one has been in before you, right? There's, there is someone who laid down something that you can pick up that you can take further. And so we very much think about what you can build upon. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a, an understandable impulse to try something, to build something new, to make something new all the time. But when our students, for example, do work around financial literacy, my first question to them is, who else is doing it? How can we do it together? What can we do that takes this work to the next level? And so in the work that I've done in the places where I was alone, it was so lonely. <laughs> like, I don't ever want to be in that again. And so um, I also just like I'm a person who seeks sisterhood. I think women's spaces are so special and and I've sought them out at every juncture and I've I've been lucky to find them. And so it's just been beautiful to be back here and also see how this space is evolving and, and see the kinds of things that people are talking about. I think that's so important. I really appreciate you highlighting that point that we don't have to go it alone. We often feel like, the, you know, the, the success stories that we celebrate most often are the stories about someone who independently went from rags to riches or didn't accept any help and did it all on her own and was the first and the only in her category. And while, yes, we appreciate all of those trailblazers, we have to also acknowledge that it's not the only way to do things, nor is that the healthiest way to do things. Well, and <laughs> there is. Yeah. And that those things can be true and also not the whole story. Right. Right. So, right. 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 So, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was um, a first in so many ways. But, you know, how many times did she talk about her husband as being an essential partner to be able, being able to do this work? So I just I don't believe that we're alone in anything, really. Um, I, I think that there is always someone there. And I think even if you think about the trailblazers we celebrate, like, you know, I remember one of the things I learned kind of early on. So I did civil rights law for a little while. And I, I remember learning that there was somebody before Rosa Parks, right? Like she she was the ideal plaintiff. Um, and I'm embarrassed that right now I can't even remember the name of that person who could have been Rosa Parks. But my point is that there's always something. There's always someone who was who was there who set some sort of framework or groundwork for you to be able to do at this point. I, I absolutely believe that there are moments and places where, you know, the women who are there are truly the first. But, you know, they got there 
with sisters. One, um, an organization that I really love is the SCD Justice Group. They're based in California um, and they essentially provide support community um, and just a, a whole lot of support for women with incarcerated loved ones. And it's named after the founder's grandmother. And I hope I don't bungle this, but the gist of the story is that, you know, somebody asked her, like, how how did you do this work? Or how, how did grandma or how did this, you know, how did Essie do all of this work? And, the, and I think it was her mom who said, you know, baby, she had sisters. And, and that's true, right? In everything we do, we have sisters or we have peers or friends. Like how many WhatsApp chats do you have going on right now? How many group texts? Like a million, right? Um, so, and if you're not, like, I hope that, I hope that you can find the people that provide that support for you. So I think one of the things that we're thinking about in our future programming for financial literacy work or financial fluency or wellness or whatever is the, is the importance of circles and support in it. Right. So how do we get together and create goals and, and hold each other accountable to those things like this stuff is very scary to do on your own. And so Athena also is increasingly moving to a model that is based on circles, meaning you are doing self-directed work, but you are doing it knowing that you're not alone. Not to generalize, but I feel like this is just leveraging inherent skill sets that women have. We are community builders. We are helpers. We are support systems. We, that's what we've been conditioned. That was, that was the role that we were given like all those, you know, eons ago, like you will now, the men will go and hunt and, and, and that's a very like singular job, a solo job. Women, you know, you're responsible for the family, for the community, for the, for the units. And, and I think that that's kind of beautiful. And we're builders and creators. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I read, you know, I read that you have two children. Um, I also have two children. I remember being pregnant and being like, I am making a person like this is wild. And oh, so, yeah. you know, it oh is. Oh, my God. After I had my first kid, I was like, well, clearly women are the more superior gender here. I mean, because like, can you imagine a guy giving birth? I cannot. Um, I can't imagine a guy having a cold and thinking it's the same level of pain. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I just think that the women in my life um, are so creative and are able to build and make things because that those are also the values that we hold to be important in our in our circles. Right. And, and if those are not the values you see around you, like I think find new friends. Right. Because I think there just is so much more you get out of seeing yourself as part of a collaborative, supportive community. And if you're not seeing that to do the work that you need to do to make that happen, because I don't think that we're going to see the change we need in the world with any one person. And I think when we think about social change, um, which is really what Athena is focused on, um, you know, supporting students who want to tackle the complex challenges our society faces and lead us to a better world, none of those are going to be solved by a single person. None of those are going to be solved by a single approach. Um, and none of those are going to be solved with a single try. People have been working at these for a long time. And so I think our job um, as leaders is to figure out where we can lead a piece of it towards this broader goal of positive change. So well said. Umbreen, tell me a little bit about your own personal background. I always like to ask guests about their upbringing, but through the lens of what you learned about money specifically, that often opens up so much uh, of an understanding of who this person is. Tell us a, a money lesson or a money story from your younger years and why you still remember it. Oh, that's so hard. Um, I am. I mean, when I was little, I think I just felt like I had all the money in the world because 
and I don't, I mean, I didn't, right. But my, my parents never felt, made me feel like I didn't. And I think that they were quite frugal. They didn't come from a lot and, you know, everything they built in, was in this country. And it's the classic story of like, I don't know, was it $10 in his wallet, $24 in his wallet? Right. Like it's always some weird <laughs> number that, you know, they $10 showed up in his, <laughs> um, you know, he showed up, he, he called the hospital and said, I'm here, but I don't have money to pay for the cab. It's some kind of story like that. Right. And so, um, so my parents to this day, um, don't waste. And so I think that's something I think about a lot. Like I was just talking to a friend about this, that I still like every time I buy like a hot chocolate out or something like that, I'm like, <laughs> I like see my parents in my mind because they would never do that. I mean, we were the family that like packed kebab rolls like in our, you know, trunk to be able to take a road trip. Like we didn't stop. We didn't buy things from restaurants. And so I think there's, there's a, creativity about it that I think I really like. And it's interesting to see those things come full circle because you don't, um, all the ways in which, you know, they were frugal, um, was really just about waste. And now it's hot because it's sustainable, right? So like my mom's been washing, you know, Ziploc bags for <laughs> decades. Um, but now we're thinking about doing things like, you know, uh, there's, there's a Ziploc so much has bag drying in my kitchen as we record this podcast. Right. And there was like a, you know, 11 year old rolling her eyes at my mom doing that back then. Right. So I think that I also think now about things related to money is very much tied to sustainability because I'll be honest, like I'm scared, right. I look outside and it is, um, you know, what was it like 60 degrees this weekend? Like that's not normal. You should, it should not be 60 degrees in the Northeast in December. That is not okay. And so I am worried. And I do think that an individual isn't going to be able to change those things. And at the same time, I do believe that an individual is essential to changing those things. And so everything tied to money does tie to me, I think, to trying not to be wasteful. And I will not say that I'm succeeding at it, but I'm trying. Well, I think that's an important distinction or rather correlation to make about why saving money is important. Everybody needs their own why for why they are being responsible with money. For some people, it's because, well, I want to buy a house or others. It's like, I want, I want options. And other persons, you know, why is because they didn't have money growing up. So they want security. And for others, it, it could simply be, did you know that when you are mindful of how you spend, there is also a correlate correlation to saving the earth. Like the less you spend or the more you reuse or the more conscious you are about every single purchase, the fewer purchases you will make. Therefore, everybody wins. And um, I think increasingly, we have to become more extremely conscious of the environmental impact. And I was just listening to NPR on the way to this conversation with you about how there are now more material items in the world, like man-made things, more than there are living things, living organisms. <laughs> oh my God. World. It's like we're living in Wally. Yes, we are literally <laughs> living in Wally. And 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 people were calling into uh, the show and, and talking about things that they have recently repaired. And it's become increasingly difficult to repair things because of patent controls. People like manufacturers don't want to make it easy for you 
to replace or reef your on your own, fix the microwave or fix right. the well, widget. Right. thing about AirPods, right? Like I think AirPods yes. are glued in a way where they cannot be repaired. But you know, you no. should, I hope at some point I can introduce you to my, my amazing colleague, Sandra Goldmark, who just wrote a book called Fix It. And she ran these, you know, fix up pop-up shops. Um, she She's a theater professor and she thinks about, you know, reuse, circular campus, et cetera. And she's also our director of sustainability at Barnard. But she has done, just for me, she has helped me see like really practically how this kind of stuff can pop up in communities and be supportive. But I mean, I'll be really super, super honest. Like I'm not there. I'm doing my best. But I think about this intersection of sustainability and money all the time, right? Because I actually like I am now in my life in a financially privileged enough place that I don't necessarily have to buy the cheapest thing. But I still am like the first place I look for something is always Amazon. And I think it just came from like early baby days when it's like, I can't go to the store. Like what can ship to me right now? You know, and at the same time, is there anything more damaging than getting like a box with a toothbrush in it? And, you know, and you got it same day. So like what had to happen in, in the, in the warehouse, we know what's happening in warehouses, right? We know um, what the impact is on our on-demand choices. And yet we are looking for, I think like often I find myself just looking for the cheapest thing. And so I, I think that's also something I've had to really process in my mind is, um, that fiscal responsibility, that thoughtful financial decision-making, all of that is not actually about saving the most amount of money you can. It's about making financial decisions that you can sleep at night with. And sometimes that's going to mean spending more because the truth is that most things are not priced what they're really priced, right? Like you're not really thinking about what the cost is um, on a human being or on a community or whatever for you to have the thing that you have today. And so I need to be prepared, for example, to spend more money on fewer clothes that last longer, right? Um, But that was a very transformative moment for me, I think. And I don't even know what the exact moment was, but it's a conversation I've been having um, with my friend Mia Birdsong, um, who wrote this book um, called How We Show Up About Community. And it's also like an amazing book. And I really think you should read it. And I hope everyone listening to this reads it. Um, But she and I have had this sort of like ongoing jokey conversation about Amazon because I just like can't quit it. I cannot quit Amazon. And it is to me like how much, how much more money did Amazon make this year while so many people lost everything in a pandemic? So there are moral choices that are tied up with our personal choices all the time in our financial decision-making. And We actually, we talk about that at Athena and at Barnard as well, that what are your values that are guiding your financial decision-making? Because making sense of that in your mind and also recognizing that those can change in your life um, is essential, right? And so I'm totally not there, but I like, I know where I want to be and I'm trying. But your consciousness is heightened. And thank you for all these great resources you're sharing with us on the episode. I think that's a book. I think there's anyone, no, I I don't have time to write it, but if there's anybody listening who wants to write, because I, I get the question. Yeah, Cameron, Mia I, keeps telling me to do that. And I just like, I, I'm the world's slowest writer. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's, it's much needed. People are writing into me a lot and asking about how to spend more consciously. And what they mean by that is not so much about how this purchase is going to help me, but how can I make an impact in the world? Uh, you know, we're starting to be more mindful of shopping at black owned businesses, for example, and investing in, in, in companies that are investing in sustainability and things like that. But beyond that, you know, in your daily life, what are some ways that you can 
think and act more consciously. I think the book would be called something like true value because what something costs on the sticker is not like we just kind of take that for face value. Like that's $3 versus $5. I'm by the thing that's $3. I mean, look at the Uber model, right? Like Uber hasn't made money in, maybe that's changed, but for many years, Uber wasn't making any money, but they're able to drive down the prices and monopolize the area. And then at some point, like we're not gonna have any other choices and that's what we take because there are no cabs, you know? And so it is like, I think thinking about how venture capital has also accelerated some of these things for us is really really something worth reflecting on. And I also think this is part of a much bigger societal issue, which is like this immediacy, this instant gratification thing. And so we, the pandemic for me, like completely, I don't, I don't know time anymore. I don't get it. Like, I don't know what day, I actually don't know what day it is. I have to look at a calendar to see what day of the month it is. I told somebody else recently that I thought it was 2021. Like I don't understand time anymore, but it's because things have both slowed down and sped up. And so you know, when I order a book from Marcus Books, which is, I think, the oldest black owned bookstore in Oakland, it's not going to come to me, you know, in 36 hours. It's going to take some time. But am I actually going to read it if it comes to me on Amazon Prime tomorrow? Like, no, not really either. Right. And so shifting to just get to take longer for things to happen or get things like not exactly when you want. I we're not like our culture isn't there. We are used to having anything we want immediately. And I'm like, including me, I am used to that. And so shifting this like cult of productivity, this more, 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 faster, faster. Like I really think also the work that we do at Athena, like I keep joking to friends and maybe this is a terrible joke now to make on this podcast, but I really think of it as like the slow food movement of social change work. We are trying to put together amazing ingredients to you know, make a difference in a more sort of simple way. And not that the work is simple at all, but just slow down. Like this is about, this is about the process. Like the work, the process is the work, you know? And, um, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with not getting to my destination of having all of my financial values match my actual actions so long as I'm trying and I'm thinking about it. And then, you know, I can't wait to hear whatever episode you've done or will do on how to talk to our kids about that. Because I don't know that, I'm not sure actually what my kids are hearing from me or seeing from me, but I do know what I was seeing from my parents that was built on their life experience of growing up abroad with far less resources than what my husband and I have now that they're growing up with. My gosh. They're, and they're seeing us all the time now. There's, they don't, all the time. Our children cannot escape us for better or worse. They are on Speaking all the Zoom. Down, can we also go to like a four-day work week? Because I think, I think that's in our future. I, actually, I think that companies are going to transition to fewer work days. I mean, you're more optimistic than me because I do hope so. I remember when, you know, I worked at a law firm and this conversation about women going part time after motherhood like came up a lot. And everyone will tell you like it is going part time just means part time pay, but full time work. And so I think a lot has to change before we're in a place where we do four day work weeks. But you know, the government does it on some level, right? There's that, there's that, you know, path that you can be on where you can do longer days. And then, you know, every other Friday or something you can have off flex days. I forget what they're called, but I I would love that because when do you do your life? Like the weekend isn't enough. Wow. This conversation was way more than I 
had even dreamed of. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's no surprise that when you get Umbreen Bhatti on your podcast, you're going to talk about a lot of things in depth because you are dynamic. And we're so glad that you're at the helm of the Athena Center. All the students at Barnard are very privileged to have you in their community. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I feel very lucky to work with them and to learn from them. And I'm just so happy that you had me on. So thank you. Thanks so much to Umbreen for joining us. You can check out more of her work at athenacenter.barnard.edu. And again, if you really enjoyed this podcast, please share it, subscribe, leave a review. Best way to support this show, which by the way, is coming on its sixth birthday this month, is to leave a review and let me know how I can make the show better for you in 2021. Or you can just get in touch, direct message me on Instagram or send me an email, farnushatsomoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you back here on Wednesday. And I hope your day is so money.